excuse me, Second Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Peter, of course, is facing martyrdom, and he knows it, but he's not discouraged. He gives us instructions in chapter 1, how to be fruitful, to have assurance of salvation, and uh, the key is giving heed to a more sure word of prophecy, but he also warns us as Paul did in his last epistle about the coming apostasy or the danger of falling away from the faith. Now, it's interesting, both writers say something to this effect, there are false prophets among you, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So these false teachers usually come from within the church. Um, so, <clears throat> anyway, Second Peter chapter 2, verses, let's, let's, I'm going to read the entire chapter. But there are also false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. It's really, really, Peter's giving a prophecy or a statement that this is going to happen. There will be, there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds." The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are great in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiled unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which had forsaken the right way, and are going astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. 
While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I titled this, God Will Not Spare. God Will Not Spare. Taken from verse 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time we have to look into your word tonight. Thank you for not only the we can see the love of God and the concern and the, and, and the care that God has for us in your word, but we also thank you for the warnings that it gives us that we might heed, give heed, uh, the earnest heed, the more sure word of prophecy that we do well unto. So, Lord, just speak to our hearts tonight. Uh, maybe we warned me where, and might we be on guard. Might we got our own life with the, with the truths of the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God will not spare his judgment of those who reject a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, you know, Peter says that here. He, he, he spared not the angels. He spared not the old world. And he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And he didn't spare Israel. And so Peter here is instructing us that there, you know, there has always been false teachers. You know, clear back in the Garden of Eden, you have somebody spreading lies, Satan himself. And then, of course, you had Cain's line, and, you know, that perpetrated false religion, a works religion. Uh, and there's, there's always been false teachers uh, in the world teaching things that oppose and uh, substitute the truth of the Word of God for that which is false. And their methods usually are basically the same. They take different names. You know, there's, uh, there's, they say there's thousands of religions in the world. Uh, a lot of them have a lot of similarities, but they claim to be different. But there really is only two. That's the truth, which we hold to, and then there's the false. Um, but there's always going to, and so we're going to look tonight, first of all, uh, their doctrine and their methods, verses 1 through 3. There were false prophets also among the people, and as the, the false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord God that bought them, and bring upon themselves with swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Uh, so they are, of course, false teachers. Uh, they they have they use feigned words. Uh, false is the word false here means fake, or they use fables. Uh, Paul, Peter said in chapter one verse sixteen, "We've not followed cunningly devised fables or something that was false. We were eyewitnesses." And uh, of of his majesty and so on, 
So, but they use falsehoods and uh, heresies, destructive and destroying opinions, even denying the Lord that bought them. Uh, this this began, you know, as we think about church history, this began very early on. I was telling the, uh, the institute class today that that corruptions began very early. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in Second Corinthians uh, uh, chapter two. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So already there were many, you know, this was uh, 60 A.D., there was already many that were corrupting or changing the word of God. I mean, isn't it new to our century or the last? Satan is always trying to counterfeit. Peter, later on in this very same epistle, in chapter 3, in verse uh, 15, says, An account of the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother, Paul, also according to wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking then of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So Peter makes reference to the fact that there are those who are resting the scriptures. Not just the things that are difficult to understand. You know, it's, I can maybe understand, and, and, you know, I think about over my years of being in the ministry, and there's some passages that I would preach now that, that I totally don't agree with what I preached 10, 20 years ago. So in a sense, I rested those scriptures, but I did it ignorantly. I didn't do it on purpose. I thought at the time it was, that was what it taught. Uh, but, you know, these were, these, Peter makes reference here, that they were doing it not only to Paul's, some of Paul's things, which are some things hard to understand, he said, but they do it to other scriptures also. So, so corruption or uh, falsehoods and these false te- teachers began very early on. You know, you start, Looking at the church fathers, as they're called, I kind of I hate that terminology because um, most of them are heretics. In fact, I'm not sure if I know any of them aren't. You know, our our faith is to be founded on the apostles and prophets, not the church fathers. And you know who likes the church fathers? The Catholics do. Ignatius, from 50 to 110 A.D., he was actually martyred, but uh, according to this article, he taught that churches should have elders and a ruling bishop. In other words, he was exalting one bishop over another, whereas in Scripture the terms bishop and elder refer to the same humble office in the assembly. He taught that all churches are part of one universal church. So there you go early on. He claimed that a church does not have authority to baptize or conduct the Lord's Supper unless it has a bishop. Um, now these are uh, innocent compared to some others, but Justin Martyr, 110, or 100 to 165 A.D., uh, he held some pagan philosophies. He interpreted the scriptures allegorically and mystically. He helped develop the idea of a middle state after death that was neither heaven nor hell. Eventually, this doctrine became Rome's purgatory. You know, again, this is, this is before 150 AD, 165 A.D. Irenaeus, 125 to 202, he was a pastor in Lyons, France, and he supported the authority of a bishop as ruler over many churches. Uh, he defended church tradition beyond what the scripture allows. 
There's a reason he claimed. He is claimed by the Roman Catholic Church as one of their own. He taught the, taught the Catholic heresy of the real presence, saying the Eucharist becomes the body of Christ, and so on. And then, of course, you, know, you get a little later, and you have one of the great uh, agents of corruption, of a guy by the name of Origen. 185 to 254 A.D. is when he lived. Uh, he said this, The scriptures are little use to those who understand them as they are written. So in other words, don't take them literally. If you are, you're a fool. Nobody takes them literally. That's, that's what he's saying. He denied the literal Genesis account of Adam and Eve. And he was actually persecuted for his faith. He believed that souls existed from eternity past. He believed in the transmigration of the soul, that one soul would pass to a higher or lower level, lower life form after death. See, there's your reincarnation. Uh, he believed in universal salvation, that the wicked would eventually be saved after punishment and destruction by angels. And again, the seeds of purgatory. He denied a physical resurrection. And that was a common thing back in those days. You know, Gnosticism was a big thing. And the Gnostics believed that Jesus rose as a ghost. He didn't have a literal body. He was, just a, he was just a ghost. He appeared in a ghost. They also believed that, Gnostics also believed, and, and this is very early on in Alexander, Egypt, it was popular, that the body and the spirit were separate, and the body, the spirit is holy, and the body is corrupt. The flesh is corrupt. So therefore, it didn't matter how you lived in the flesh. You could live the most wicked and moral life and still be holy in the spirit. That's Gnosticism. Denied uh, a physical resurrection. He believed stars and planets had souls. And so on. Uh, he was one of the first to refer to pastors as priests also. So, again, corruption. You know, Peter says here, there, will be, there shall be false teachers among you. There's going to be. See, God knows human nature. You know, study. If you study church history... There's one thing you're going to find out. <clears throat> that church groups go through periods of revival and then they go through periods of apostasy. You know, the height of Baptists, and I'm talking about Baptists, I'm not talking about a Baptist denomination, but the height of the Baptist people was during the revolutionary era. I mean, they were... They were persecuted and they were flourishing. They were growing by leaps and bounds and they had strength. They had influence. But during the 1800s, you know what happened? They apostatized. They apostatized. Then after the Civil War, again, there was a revival. And, and, then, and then, of course, the, you know, the Baptists in the South came, became known, became this became the Southern Baptist Convention. And again, what has happened there? It's apostatized. It isn't anything what it was. See, there shall be. It's human nature. The children of Israel did the same thing. But these, they, they teach these destructive or destroying opinions. They deny the blood atonement. These apostates deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says even denying the Lord that bought them. You know, they don't deny that there was a Lord. They just deny that he's, his, his work is sufficient for salvation. You know, this was the problem that, that, 
that uh, the, the, the early churches had with the Jews. You know, they, they didn't deny that Jesus rose from the dead. And they didn't deny that you needed to receive him as your Lord and Savior. They just said, that's not enough. Like so many believe today, you just add Jesus to the rest of your gods and you'll be okay. <laughs> no. No, he is the only, the only uh, true Savior. So they deny the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, his miracles, and of course we read there, a lot of them denied the miracles. They, took, they didn't take the, the miracles, the, the Bible literal, or his little return, or so on. Uh, we notice also their work is privately. Um, in verse 1 it says, who, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. They don't come in and announce to you, hey, I'm going to teach some things that, you know. I mean, they're not going to get up and say, hey, you can't take your Bible literally. I mean, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it doesn't really mean that. It just says that. Had the president of where I went to Bible school had a fellow was coming to his church one time. He was an older gentleman, and he was a member of a liberal denomination. And and he came coming on Sunday nights, and he was preaching on on creation. And uh, he said he really appreciated. It. And he said uh, my pastor said he's going to preach on creation. And uh, he said, he said I told him, he said, well, it'll probably be good. But he said, ask him afterwards if he believes it. And so he said, he preached on creation. And he asked this liberal preacher afterwards, he said, he said, uh, he said that was really good. But the preacher said, but I don't believe any of it. You know, they swallowed the lie of evolution. They say what they think their people want to hear. They don't believe it. They come in privately or secretly. Uh, they, they teach. They have pernicious ways. They, they are destructive. They speak evil of the truth. They speak evil of the truth. You know, some of the things that these people do, uh, one commentator said they adopt their own moral code of ethics, which is a downward slide. When you, when you become your own standard, your standard will constantly be changing to suit your own needs or your own desires. When you don't have a standard to go by, <laughs> uh, you know, when carpentry, <laughs> one of the things we do is if we're cutting rafters, we cut one, make sure it's right, and then we write Pat on it. That's not a woman's name. It means pattern. And we don't use that till the last one because we cut all the rest and mark them off of that one. You see, we have a standard to go by. And as long as we go by the standard, we're okay. We had one fellow that thought he was kind of smart. And he just started guessing. And we had to throw out some rafters. He ruined some of them. They looked terrible. Um, I don't know what's so hard about following a pattern. 
But if you don't have a standard to go by, somebody, something other than yourself, you're, you're going to change. You're going to get off course. So they speak evil of the truth. They use covetous, or as he says here, through covetousness, verse 3, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. So, so making merchandise, the word feigned, of course, means plasto, is the word plastus or plastic, it's fake. But they use feigns or plastic or fake words to make merchandise of you. Um. bring it. Guess I did. Um, oh, here it is. All right, here it is. You take the typical, typical uh, TV evangelist. What are they looking for? Are they looking for Are they, are they attempting to tell the truth or are they trying to build a ministry? I remember years ago, I had this guy who was coming to our church and he was praising Robert Tilton. Robert Tilton was an old TV evangelist out of Texas. And uh, anyway, and I said, uh, I said, Ed, he just wants your money. Oh no, he prays for me. You know, they... That he, he he promises that he, that he prays for you, and he shows you on TV that he prays for you and everything like that. And I said, Ed, he's just taking your money. Well, a couple of weeks later, he came in, and he wasn't very happy. And he said, and what had happened was 60 Minutes did an expose on these TV evangelists, and it showed the workers for Robert Tilton going to the post office getting the letters that people sent in with the prayer requests in it and the checks, taking out the checks and throwing all the letters right in the trash can, right in the post office. You see, it's a money game. It's a money game for most of us. I've said it often that, that Christianity is big business. I mean, a lot of churches are like carnivals. They attract people, but it's not because they're attracted to the truth. Um, you know, it's, it's close home. It's right around here. You know, you can go to Richland Creek down here on Christmas Eve, and you can have snow in the sanctuary while they entertain you. Here's a flyer for it if you want to go. I wouldn't recommend it. They make merchandise of you. Um, but their judgment, their judgment is sure and it is certain. Verses three, th or verses 3 through 9 says, Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them in the change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So, uh, their judgment will not linger nor slumber. God will judge the unjust. It's just a matter of when. And he gives, of course, he gives examples here. Of course, the angels that sinned, the old world in Noah's day, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, did not escape the judgment of God. But God overthrew them. You know, who are we to think that we can escape if we turn away from the Lord? God will judge them. But he also describes here their characters and their lifestyles. And first of all, they live after the flesh. Verse 10 says this, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise the government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So they are, they live after the flesh. They are, they are, their whole uh, uh, philosophy of life is what pleases my flesh. They're not concerned with what is eternal or what's ahead. It's what is now. They are presumptuous or self-willed. It means to be daring and arrogant and not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They are, one commentator said, they are insulting. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think, have this idea. I was out here meeting the uh, guy from Alford Mechanical a week ago, and I had Nathan's truck. And Nathan has a Ben Carson for President sticker on the back window. And, uh, and the guy said, he said, I like that sticker. He said, I was kind of hoping Ben Carson would get in. He said, uh, he said I, I thought maybe it would, you know, appease the, the left a little bit. And I said, yeah, a lot of people think that. But I said, I don't think it will work. He said, no, I don't either now. You know, they're just self-willed. They're, they, are, they are insulting. They don't care. Who it is or what it is, uh, they hate authority. They speak evil of dignities all the way up to God. They're insulting. Paula White, by the way, Paula White is has very has, is one of President Trump's spiritual advisors. Unfortunately, Paula White said this quote: "Anyone who tells you to deny yourself." is from Satan, unquote. What did Jesus say? If you won't deny yourself and take up his cross daily and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. Robert Schuller said, quote, In other words, Jesus had an ego. He said, If I, if I be lifted up, will draw on to me. Wow, what an ego trip he was on. Unquote. Benny Hinn, quote, don't tell me you have Jesus. You are everything he was and everything he is and ever shall be, unquote. Is that speaking evil? Is that not speaking evil of the Lord? 
making oneself equal with God? It is highly insulting to God, to say the least. They take, they take pleasure, or they riot in the daytime. Notice verse 13. I'm not looking at, look at going through all this, but it says, And shall receive the reward of the unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. you know, they're, they're, they, they live their wicked lifestyles. They, they, they uh, uh, pour out of their mouths these wicked things, and there is no shame. There seems to be no shame. And our society is getting more and more that way. There's no shame anymore. Things that were once spoken in the darkness are now in the light. They are deceitful. Notice verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, bestowing unstable stoles, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way, and are going astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, the Bible speaks of Balaam in three ways. It talks about the way of Balaam, talks about the heir of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, one commentator said this, that the way of Balaam is the way of materialism. And, of course, we see that in verse 3. They make merchandise of you. The heir of Balaam is the heir of all apostates to sacrifice eternal riches for temporal gain. So it's running right on the broad ways of the world. It is lust for the pleasures of sin for a season. Greed for the treasures of Egypt. Again, it has to do with uh, putting temporal things over that which is eternal. And then the doctrine of Balaam says this is the union of the world and the church in spiritual unchastity. Balaam subtly opposed the word of God which he had spoken. Balaam's sensual deed stands as a reminder of God's judgment upon all who prostitute God's given talents and gifts for the sake of gain or reward. You know, he taught the children of Israel to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Uh, for, and, and he did all this for a reward. For a reward. And, uh, and that's, that's the kind of characters we're dealing here, here, with here. Uh, in these false teachers, that uh, they are they they pour out these evil things and and uh, uh, beguile unstable souls. Uh, Peter or Timothy says they they lead silly lead captive silly women laden with sins. And we notice also their works. You know, they don't care. I mentioned this down in the men's prayer meeting. They don't care how it gets done. It's whatever works. Whatever works. That's the philosophy of the day. Whatever works. why you know 
they call themselves seeker sensitive. They would send out questionnaires. You know, if I was seeker sensitive pastor, I'd put out questionnaires and ask you what you wanted to hear. And then I'd try to preach messages accordingly as to what you wanted to hear. Not what I think the Lord would have me to preach or what the Word of God says, but what you want to hear. So it's whatever works. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So it's, so it's whatever works. That's their motive. That's their agenda. And they, but they, and they have a knowledge. The sad thing is they have a knowledge of the truth, but they turn away from it. Notice verses 20 and 21 says this. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. You know, think about it. Balaam, and, and I won't go back to Numbers 22 for sake of time, but Balaam said many things that were true. You know, Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam said, how can I curse whom the Lord hath blessed? How can I do it? And then he gave a prophecy, you know, at the last time that he, you know, he took him to several different positions to, to look at Israel. And then he gave a prophecy, and in that prophecy there is a statement about the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. It was true. So a lot of things Balaam said was true. But he also taught corruption. He taught the children of Israel, or he taught Balak, how to tempt the children of Israel so they'd commit whoredom with the daughters of Boaz. And his, his corrupt teaching had immediate and lasting effects. In fact, look at Joshua 22, verse 17. Joshua 22, verse 17. <clears throat> Joshua 22, verse 17. And here, here, the children of Israel are in the land. They've conquered it. And you remember when they, of course, the, the, the uh, half-tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben and the, the Gadites were given land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But, and they asked to stay there. And Moses said, as long as you go, into the, go across the Jordan and help take the rest of the land, you can, ha you, can, you can have that land. So they promised. The men all did. They went and did that. So they're now they're sending these men back to, take, to go home after they've conquered the land. And they built this altar at the Jordan River, the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and half-tribe Manasseh. They built this altar. It's not an altar to worship, but an altar to see to. Just a reminder that in the days to come, he, they said, this was their thinking, in the days to come so that their children will not say to our children, you have no part with us because we're on the other side of the river. Right? So that was their thinking. So they built this altar. 
And the children of Israel hear about it, and and uh, uh, the high priest, I believe, was uh, at the time. Um, yeah, Eliezer, I think. Anyway, they hear about it, and they send ten princes uh, and Phineas. That's who it was, Phineas, the high priest, over to talk to them about this altar they built. And, and notice in verse chapter 22, verse 17, it says, or let's go to verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have builded you an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? And that iniquity of Peor is the when the daughters of Moab tempted the men of Israel and they, and they, and they committed whoredom with them. Referring there, so it had lasting effects. You know, false teaching has lasting effects. It's hard to root out. You know, it's it's very difficult once a church starts to go, starts to compromise, to stop it. You know, one of the things that. Again, the president of where I went to Bible school used to try to do was to um, go into a church that had gone, had compromised or had, was liberal and, eat, and try and bring it back to a biblical position. But over the years, I've noticed something. hadn't seen when it was really had lasting effect. It doesn't happen. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's what Paul said. So these have, this, these false prophets their teaching has not only immediate, but it has lasting effect. It's hard to root out. They are servants. They are servants of bondage and corruption. You know, the reality is they have no true spiritual life. Notice verses 17 through 19. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. You know, you're talking about a cloud that's carried with a tempest. In other words, it has nothing in it. It's an empty cloud. They're a well without water. What good's a well without water? I mean, a well without water. You drill a well and you don't get water. All you get is frustration. I know. I've been there. When they speak great swelling words of vanity. So their words are vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. So, so they, they are wells of that water. There's no true spiritual life. They are in the bondage of corruption. They're in bondage to Satan. Whereas hell is reserved for them, as the judgment speaks about 
in verses 4 to 6. And, and so, in reality, what the, an apostate is, is one who has said no to God. And turned away. Again, Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For if they had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy command that was delivered unto them. You know, they know, they know about God just like Judas. Judas knows as much about the Lord Jesus as the twelve other. 11 disciples did. You think about many of the politicians of Bill Clinton's era in the Democratic Party and many of them come out of the Southern Baptist Convention including Bill Clinton himself. Al Gore, Jimmy Carter, three most commonly known ones. They, back in 1990s, there was a uh, meeting of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship was called, headed up by Jimmy Carter, and there was everything taught there about um, climate change by Al Gore, and Bill Clinton spoke at it. Um, I don't know if he spoke of his treatment of women or what he spoke about, but you know he spoke at it. Uh, there was homosexuality was addressed as being acceptable and 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 moral and okay with God. This is called this was called a Christian. The apostates, apostates. At some point, they had turned away from the truth and turned on the fables. You know, Jimmy Carter believes in evolution and abortion and calls himself a Christian. And Peter says here they'd be better off not ever hearing the truth than to have heard the truth and turned away from it. You see, point Peter is making here is he is warning us, he is warning them of his day, and he's warning us to be, to make your calling and election sure. Don't just go through the motions. Don't deceive yourself. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. In other words, give yourself a test. You know, I've often said, if you want to give yourself a test, go to the book of 1 John. You know, 1 John gives us some tests. Hereby we do know him if we keep his commandments. Uh, he that loveth his brother... Uh, well, how does it say there? He that loveth not his brother, uh, how can he love his brother? How can he love God 
if, if he don't love his brother whom he has seen. So you love the brethren. You know, are you testing? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Do you examine things by the light of God's word, or do you have your own standard? See, they're all, these are all tests. How we can prove our own selves. Peter tells us in chapter 1 how we can prove our own selves or give ourselves assurance and certainty by adding to our faith. He says, be, and he says, beware of apostasy. You know, if we are proving ourselves, if we're giving heed to a more short of prophecy, we will not be led astray by false teachers who will come in privately, secretly, and with great swelling words. attempt to lead us astray. You see, we need to be aware of it. It is very apostasy is very deceitful and destructive, and the tool of the devil being used to lead many to everlasting torment. So we're to hold fast to the more sure word of prophecy and get heed unto the light. It is the light that shineth in a dark place, in a dark world. God's you know, God will not spare those who turn away from Him. We will not escape as these others did not. You know, God spared not to give us His Son. Many have given their lives for His Word, for a more short of word of prophecy, and to preserve the faith once delivered unto the saints. We need to count it precious as He tells us in chapter 1 and give heed to his great and exceeding precious promises so that we might be partakers. The word partaker means to be a participant. That's like saying, I am one of the team. I'm in. You know, we sang the song tonight, count me in. Count me in. Uh, so, might God help us to be warned and beware and be wise. There are many false teachers in the world seeking to lead us astray. But we need to simply give heed to the word of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction that it gives us. Thank you also for the warnings that are given therein. Father, I pray that you help us to heed those warnings that we might be protected from the onslaught of the evil one who would attempt to lure us astray from the truth of your word. So I pray, Father, that you help us as your people, help our young people to beware of those who may attempt to lead them from the truth into deception. Help us to realize we have an enemy, an adversary, the devil, who walks about seeking whom he may devour. So Lord, just give us uh, knowledge of your word. Help us spend the time and put forth the effort we need. 
that we might grow in your grace and knowledge, we pray in Jesus' name.